Hey folks, my name is Ike Morgan and we are down in Alabama. Now, we're literally down in Alabama covering as much news as we can from Lookout Mountain to Mobile Bay. And Down in Alabama is also the name of our show. We spend about three to five minutes daily going over a handful of news and culture stories that are a mix of the top stories and maybe the most overlooked stories and sometimes just the most Alabama stories of the day. Now, there's not a strict definition of what the most Alabama stories of the day are, but you know them when you see them. So y'all come on by and give us a listen and bring a sense of humor because we take the news seriously, but not ourselves. The show is called Down in Alabama and we're available wherever you listen to your podcasts. For AL.com, I'm Ben Flanagan. This is Outbreak Alabama, stories from a pandemic. As the novel coronavirus wreaks havoc in Alabama and across the world, these are the stories of those seeking to survive the disease and its economic strain. We're handling it right now, but we can't handle it forever. And uh, we don't have a lot of room for error. Today we hear from Dr. David Thrasher, a critical care pulmonologist in Montgomery, where the four counties that make up the metro area have seen a combined 721 new confirmed coronavirus cases since May 4th, an increase of 110%, according to AL.com reporters Amy Yurkinen and Ramsey Archibald. Their report said the number of coronavirus cases in Montgomery rose so sharply in May that the area landed on the White House list of locations to watch. Montgomery hospitals are starting to run low on intensive care beds, and some have converted areas into dedicated COVID-19 treatment wings as the virus surges. I spoke to Dr. David Thrasher about his concerns about the COVID-19 crisis in the Montgomery area, the risk the virus poses to everyone, including young people, and why it's critical that everyone wear a mask in public right now. I'm a pulmonary critical care physician trained at UAB, and I've been in Montgomery since 1983. There are seven of us in our group. And we see uh, patients uh, that have any type of lung disease from asthma to COPD to lung cancer or, or any uh, type of patients that end up on, uh, on a ventilator. We, we see the critically ill patients. We, we run several of the intensive care units across uh, the city, and, and we, so we see the great majority of patients who are on ventilators and are critically ill. Now, that's what we've been doing uh, since I got back here in 1983. We're still doing that, obviously, but... The case mix has tra- changed dramatically o- over this last uh, several weeks, for sure, and over the last six weeks, the great majority of what we're seeing right now are COVID-19 patients. This past weekend, my partner, Dr. Reno, and I rounded on 140 patients now for the, between the two of us each day. Typically, May is a pretty slow month for us, and we probably round on maybe 60, maybe 70 between the two of us. So it's about double the volume we're seeing. And of those 140 patients, 119 of them were COVID-19 patients, and uh, probably about 35 of those were on ventilators and critically ill. You've expressed that you're very concerned about the current status of COVID-19 in Montgomery. What are you seeing in the city right now and where you work that is prompting those concerns primarily? Well, I, I track the number of cases each day, okay, uh, across uh, across Alabama and, and, and some other places as well, and, and Montgomery, of course. 
but the number of cases uh, that's while that's important what what i really look at is the number of people in the hospital because you say well the number of cases going up because we're testing more well that's that's partly true but now still everybody just doesn't run out and get a test but that's part of it but what i look at is how many patients are sick enough with covid to be admitted to the hospital and that's what we're seeing right now a big surge of hospitalization of hospitalized patients to the point where we're very concerned with the number of intensive care unit beds today. And so is Montgomery currently overrun, in your opinion? I won't say it's overrun. We're able to handle it, but, but like, like uh, one of the CEOs of a big hospital said yesterday, we're handling it right now, but we can't handle it forever. And uh, we don't have a lot of room for error. There's a handful of, of, of ICU beds available right now. Some hospitals have none. And uh, typically, you, you, you can have people with ventilators that we keep in the emergency room for a while. And uh, we do different areas. Uh, we've converted uh, uh, several intensive care units to COVID-only units. We've put people on floors and, and, and made them kind of COVID-only areas and things like that. But we're managing. But uh, if we had much more of a surge, it would be a major problem. And they're already diverting some patients and send them to Birmingham now. We typically do that throughout the year as, as one city gets in trouble. We're diverting and sending patients to other uh, cities. And right now we're trying to send some to uh, uh, Birmingham. Well, and you have said that you're also concerned about the age groups of the patients that you've seen about 40% of whom have been between the ages of 25 and 40. And you said that you've lost younger patients. And the severity of this doesn't seem to be fully clicking for many people in general, but specifically young people keen on risking their health. How do we get the message across to younger people? Well, let me correct you just a little bit on the statistics. Uh, 40% of the patients we see are between age 25 and 50. Uh, 40% in that range, 25% between 50 and 65 and 25% over 65. Clearly, the largest number of deaths are the ones over 65, but there still is a significant number of deaths in young people. And uh, we've, we've seen some 30-year-olds die, and uh, and we've got some right now that are ones in, in his 20s, and it's looking pretty rough. Now, granted, most of the young people, even though they can be – have the disease pretty, pretty bad, we'll, we'll survive, okay? And probably 15, maybe 20% of the people are barely uh, symptomatic at all. Uh, maybe they think they have a little cold or uh, something mild like that. But those are the ones that can really infect uh, everybody else. And that's the problem with this, not knowing exactly who's got the disease. Something that you said in, in the piece by my colleague, you said that we have to have an economic engine, but we have to insist for people to use good sense. I, I spoke to Dr. Jeannie Marazzo at UAB who shared that sentiment. Have you ever come across people trying to balance physical health and economic health like this? This is first time in, in probably all of our lifetimes that we've had uh, had this. Uh, the... Uh, Swine flu, H1N1, was uh, declared a pandemic. To be honest with you, I don't even remember that being a declared a pandemic. We went through it. And we, it was a tough winter, but nothing like this. And uh, certainly there was no shutdown of, of the government and, uh, you know, what we're doing right now. We definitely have to balance it because, uh, like I told somebody today, I wear two hats, a medical hat and an economic hat. 
you can't just do one other. I can totally eliminate this virus from the face of the earth if I can put everybody live by themselves, see nobody else for 30 days. This virus has to go from a one a living creature to another living creature about every 14 or so days, okay, or it dies out. And that's how it typically dies out when it doesn't find another living creature to move on to. Obviously, we can't do that. We can't lock everybody down for 30 days. That's what we tried to do in the lo- a lockdown, but uh, the stay-at-home order to try to slow down the number of people getting it so the hospitals didn't surge. Now, we've got to balance, on the other hand, the economic damage. We know that um, there's a huge number of people already unemployed. The St. Louis Federal Reserve said that the worst-case scenario would be a um, 32% unemployment rate. At that rate, they estimated there'd be 70,000 lives lost because of the uh, pandemic, but not from the infection alone. What I mean by that, for every 1% increase in unemployment, you have a 1% increase in suicide. I was appointed a county coroner here for 13 years, and during the Great Recession, I saw that a lot. The suicide rates jumped up as people lose their jobs. Also, there's a tremendous increase in the number of uh, overdoses and, and uh, from alcohol and drugs uh, for unemployment. So. We can't just let people become destitute and die that way. So we've got to open up. We've got to do it sensibly. You know, there shouldn't even be a debate over masks. A mask does not make you a bandit. It's not, it doesn't hurt you, but it may help you, okay? And more importantly, it may help your fellow man. If I have the virus and you've got the virus, we may be three feet apart. If I sneeze and I'm wearing a mask, I'm probably going to catch it in my mask and not get it through yours. Now, your mask is not you know, protect you, okay? It's not a protective thing that much. What I'm getting at, if everybody were to wear the mask and respect the social distances, wash their hands, all the things we've been talking about, we could still carry on society and and not have economic ruin. If the state had been uh, shut down much more longer, we would not have any mom-and-pop restaurants. You know, they would be out of business. They could, they could not stand it, not to mention the other small business people. So we've got to have a commerce, but we just got to do it smartly. Well, if I can piggyback on your point there about masks, like you just said, you have said that they save lives. And to quote you, you say anyone who says otherwise is just stupid. But there is a reluctance among a lot of Alabamians and people throughout the country to wear masks in public. And I just wonder, I mean, you just got done sort of sharing your message to people who who won't wear them. But medically, why is wearing a mask so crucial right now? Well, for two things, for, for, for me and, and, and the healthcare people, it's saving our lives. I, I, I'm not advocating the public wear the N95s or the N100s like we were, we're wearing. We go into the, the COVID patients' rooms, we're around them all day long, so we're exposed to the virus constantly. The average person is not. Why well, it's important for you to wear a mask in public? Because you may be that 15, 20% person who has the virus and doesn't even know it. And uh, if you sneeze and you're wearing a mask and somebody else is wearing a mask, the chances are good that the other person will not catch it. The problem is you're more contagious about one or two days before you get symptoms, and that's the problem. You could be feeling great today, a cough or sneeze, and then you may not have symptoms for another two to five days, but you've already infected me unbeknownst. So that's why it's so important. Nobody knows who they that they are they're infected until much later. Now, SARS, on the other, other hand, 
uh, they were not very contagious until day five. That's why we were able, or the Chinese, I should say, were able to isolate those people, quarantine them, and the disease burned out much more quickly. So this is just the opposite. You're more contagious before you even have symptoms. And that's tough when, when you don't even know that you're, you're, you're sick and you're spreading the disease. I understand that you're a man of faith and I know that pastors have reached out to you for advice on whether to hold church services and you've advised against it as a doctor, depending on science during a pandemic like this, but also somebody who understands the importance of in-person worship. How does your faith coincide with your work and any hope that you might have to push through? Well, that's tough. Okay. Uh, like I said, Small businesses, they depend on people coming in there, okay? They they will die. Restaurants will die without people coming in. Churches will not die. I've told many of the pastors around Montgomery, they've been great, by the way. You don't have to have the people come in. Yeah, ideally, sure. We all want to come in and worship in, in person, you know. But, uh, you know, also it says, you know, love your neighbor. And loving your neighbor is not you know, uh, bringing them into an area where you're going to uh, uh, get them infected. Religious services are one of the top areas uh, for pandemic outbursts. You would think it'd be cruise ships, but it's not. Funerals and religious services are the, are the hot spots. Those along with, uh, some call centers and some other things we won't get into, but bottom line is, is religious areas are are dangerous. You can worship like we've been doing, you know, remotely, uh, watching it uh, on TV. You, you you can even have uh, a bunch of people driving in cars and, and listen to it if you want to. You can even have them have huge picnics in, in in the fields. That outside stuff is great, you know. Obviously, in Alabama in the summer, that's not very fun, but. You can do it. So I don't think it's, you know, uh, a requirement. You know, like, like I, I told <laughs> jokingly many people, I don't remember uh, Jesus ever, ever preaching inside. Most of his preaching was outside. So we don't have to be close. It is tough. When you go into church, you want to hug your neighbor. You want to see the little kids run up and down the halls and, and people have to go to the bathroom. All these places are, are potential uh, sources of, of contagion. Well, my last thing for you. What's encouraging you right now? I know that it is a difficult time in Montgomery and in, in, in the country, but your city specifically, is there a silver lining? Is there something that's keeping you optimistic about the pandemic in your city? Well, my glass is always uh, half full. My wife jokingly says I'm, uh, I'm too optimistic, but what I do, what I've done since 1983, taking care of critically ill patients, if I'm not optimistic, I, I couldn't make it. America is great. America will overcome anything. I think we're a, a nation of faith. I, I think uh, I think we're going to overcome this. So there's not a doubt in my mind that we will eventually overcome it. What we need to do is try to minimize the number of deaths and minimize the economic hardships until we get a vaccine. Until we get a vaccine, it's not going to be fun. We're going to have to uh, be careful, do the things we're doing, and hope and pray we'll have a vaccine this fall. If we do, that in itself would probably be miraculous because it takes about eight years to uh, make a, a, a new vaccine uh, on a novel uh, uh, virus. But you've got the whole world working on this. Over 53 companies are trying to get it done. So I've got faith in, in, in uh, American entrepreneurship and, uh, and the medical system. Our medical system is, <laughs> it certainly has our, our, our flaws, but when we get behind something like this, uh, great things can happen. 
Dr. Thrasher, thank you so much and best of luck to you and be safe. Thank you. You too, Ben. Thanks. According to the Alabama Department of Public Health, as of Thursday, there were 994 confirmed cases in Montgomery County, with 28 deaths and 6,413 tested. And according to my colleagues' reporting, the department did not have an immediate explanation for the recent spike in the Montgomery area. If you or anyone you know is affected by coronavirus and want to share your story, please email bflanagan at al.com. That's B-F-L. A-N-A-G-A-N at A-L dot com. For all of our coverage on the outbreak and how it continues to impact Alabama, visit A-L dot com slash coronavirus. If you like the show, please rate us and write a review. Thanks for listening.